0: getting us ready for listening to the message about conflict resolution. Um, I know uh, I've been uh, alive for enough years. I've been in ministry for enough years to know that uh, conflict is something that uh, we all have at some point or another. Um, But I also know at this point in my life, and in my ministry, that God still calls his children to work on that conflict, to do something about that conflict, to not allow that conflict to take over, to let it not be part of their life. Last week, as I gave that message to you, I tried to give you a a basis of which we need to start from, the Colossians 3 passage. If you haven't listened to it, please go and listen to it. It'll give you a foundation. Today we want to talk about something a little bit different. And as I say that God wants his children to have no part in it, he doesn't want us to have any part in it. He calls it not just sin. He calls it grievous sin. He calls it terrible sin. He calls it as if we had murdered someone, if we get angry with somebody. Can you imagine that? I I grew up as a kid in an angry home and I grew up as an angry kid. You know, you go to school, you have a fight with one of the guys that, when you get to school, and you have lunch, you have a fight with another guy, and then you walk home with them. You know, I mean, that was just, that was life. I mean, it, it seemed like that way every day. Um, <laughs> but that's not the way it's supposed to be with a Christian. But you know what? We may not get into a fisticuffs with somebody. We may not take them down and, and be battling them but in our hearts, sometimes we do. I, I've been here long enough to see even, uh, and I, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, elders to have things against their elders. That is not; They're not immune from that. I remember one time I was not in an elders meeting, and someone came to me and said, they said this about you. This guy said this about you. Now, I, I could have let that irritate me. You know what? I don't even remember this day what that was. I could have let that irritate me, but you know what they did? I got on the phone, and I called him up, and I said, can we get lunch, the fellow who supposedly said that about me? And I said, you know, I just want to make sure that there's nothing between us. By the way, we're great friends today. There's nothing between us, but I want to know what you said. And he said, yeah, I said that, but here's the context. Let's put it in the context. I could have let that ferment in my heart. I could have let that keep going, and I could have let that become a problem but I didn't want to because I could easily do that. I'm prone to do those kinds of things, and I know that. So it's a battle for all of us. God wants his children to demonstrate the holy characteristic of peace. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, pursue it. Run after it is basically what he's saying there. Run after it. We're supposed to pursue peace, not strife. We are His new creation, and and we're His representatives here on earth. We who are identifying with Him need to learn how to handle conflict when it comes. God wants us not to revert to our former Christian days or pre-Christian days in handling conflict, but to handle it like God would want us to handle it. Peace is to be that pursuit, not war. Yet, I've been here long enough. I've heard enough stories that there are some families that are coming apart. Coming apart at the seams, even with strife. I once had a counseling situation with 15 people, three generations, all in one room. Four hours later. I mean, it was not easy to listen to all the stuff. They go to the same church, yet they don't talk to one another world can that be? I mean, I said that to him. I said, I'm I'm flat out, can't believe this. 15 people, three generations, and they're not talking to one another? That's not what my Bible says. That's not what my God says. I I know that peace can be elusive. I know that it can be difficult, but you know what? Do the hard work of bringing back people together. You know, we may say, oh, it's okay, kids learn how to pick on one another, get into a fight in the playground like I did, but you know what? Now we have countries that pick on one another. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to Ukraine and Russia. They had a war three years ago, right? Three, four years ago, they, Russia took over the Crimea. Yet they battled against one another, and I found out from the pastors, some of the pastors that are there, that are on the eastern border, that they still have guns going off and fighting happening. We don't hear about it here because it's not important to us, supposedly. But they still have war going on. It's elusive. We live in a big world, yet we need to take care of our own world first. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, you don't need to turn there. It says this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I certainly want to be called the sons of God. I want to be identified as one of his children. There needs to be a peacekeeping, peacemaking attitude in my heart as well as yours. So we have this call to peace. We are to pursue peace, yet it's elusive. It's like jell trying to grab a hold of it. I can say this categorically. There's no peace outside the church. I just look at the Senate floor this week. There's no peace outside the church. There's no peace in the streets either in the universities. God wants His children to avoid needlessly and sinfully offending someone. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 10. We're not going to stop there. We're going to be in a few different places before we actually get to the message. but First Corinthians 10. 31, we know this, this verse here probably by heart, whatever you do, whatever you drink, do all to the glory of God. But we stop at that verse, and we don't go to the next verse, and this is what the next verse says, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Notice the church of God is last, <laughs> to the Jews or to the Greeks, to the unbelievers, and no offense to the church of God. Can you offend somebody and not know it? Sure. David Pallison told this story uh, once, and he said uh, this lady didn't talk to him for four years, and he didn't even re- you know, recognize. He got a big church, you know, that kind of thing. And the lady came up to him finally one day on a Sunday and said, you ignored me. And he said, when was this? He said, you ignored me. And, and then he, they traced it back. It was when he had a bloody nose, and he was had his nose up in the air. I mean, that sounds silly. That sounds silly, but she took offense at that. And there's really nothing to take offense at. We can all get ignored at times. God wants his children to be at peace. He wants them to work through the issues. Matthew chapter 5, he gives a clear indication of what it is. And and I'll be there in a minute here. Matthew 5 verse 21 and he says this, You have heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. <laughs> but, this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you that everyone who was angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Oh, my goodness. How about this week? Were you angry at anybody this week? I saw you getting off the 405 free... Never mind. Never <laughs> mind. You know, we've all had those times, those opportunities to be angry at somebody. And here it says, as if you had committed murder. I I know none of you would want to have your name in the newspaper for having committed murder. But can I tell you something? There is a book being written in heaven. It's called The Christian Wars. (laughs) I don't want my name in it. I want to keep my name out of it. You want to keep your name out of it. God wants his children to love, to pray for, and to do good to those who even sin against them, even if they offend you by turning their nose up at you or by ignoring you. I was going to come in here today and tell you, you know what? Grace Church saw how great Anchored was and how we went through this whole reconstruction here. They were going to give us another opportunity to move us across the hallway when they did that room you know we should say thank you appreciate that that you would think we were would be able to do that right i'd say no how dare you we're anchored <laughs> be careful folks be careful romans 12:21 says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good with good that's what christians should do now I need to point this out to you. Can we have disagreements? Absolutely. Do we have disagreements? Sure do. Sure do. Comes election day, you're probably not going to vote the same way I'm going to vote. But comes election day, you're not going to do the same thing I do. You're going to have a disagreement. You know, I come to my home and my wife asked me once, well, what do you think of the house? This is when the girls were still there. I said, it's kind of pink and it's kind of flowery. <laughs> but, But you know what? I don't care. I, I you know, she heard that, and guess what? It cost me 25000 dollars to fix everything, you know. <laughs> I'm not saying anything anymore. I love it. <laughs> it could be coming apart. I love it. <laughs> you see, the disagreement, the, 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 the difference between a disagreement and a conflict is the jealousy and the heart that you put into it, the emotional aspect of it. When it becomes, I need that, that's when it becomes a conflict. Whether it's, I need to be recognized, or I need to have peace, or whatever it is, I need that, that's the emotional element that's added to it, and that's what makes it sin. That's what offends the other person and offends God. So we need to stay away from that. Now this is where we're going to be. So turn to James. Chapter Four. You know the passage. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? I can't tell you how many times I've had to time. I had times I had to turn to this passage. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust, and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? You see, folks, this is where we're at. We want something. It may even be a good thing, yet because we have this emotional element added to it, it becomes, I need it. Not, you know what, Lord, if you want to give that to me. It's like, you know, something happened on staff and I went home to my wife and it's probably the only time I've ever mentioned it to her and she could see, mentioned it to her and she said, I can see I'm trouble with it. He says, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I came back a week later. I said, I've been delighting for a whole week. I didn't get it. She says, well, that just shows your wretched heart. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you. My wife is speaking to me what the word, word of God is saying. Thank you. You're right. Because if I hold on to it like this, no, no, it's if he wants to give it to me. It's up to him to give it to me. I don't deserve it anyway. I don't deserve it anyway. But we say that. There are a a lot of words here. I'm going to go through some of these words quarrels, conflicts, murder, war, fights. Sounds like something out of a war novel. And you know that I read uh, history novels, mostly about the war, Second World War, sometimes uh, Vietnam, sometimes the Korean War. I read about these things. James uses these words to describe a situation. Guess where? In the church. Are you serious, James? This is a a situation in the church. Uh, And if you've been around long enough, you've been in some churches where you've seen it. Where you've seen it. James is going to use these words to describe what's going on in this particular church. These words define and they explain the character and the communication that's going on in the relationships that are within the church. It's a first century church, but you know what? It could be a 21st century church. Easily be a 21st century church. Quarrels, where does, where does that come from? It means squabbles or altercations. Generally, it's verbal in nature. The word implies a heated verbal contention. That's what it is. It's something that's heated, something that's, that's uh, angry was translated 12 times as war, this particular Greek word, five times as battle, and once as fight. Pretty descriptive word there. That's what quarrels is. Doesn't sound like a very attractive church that you want to go to. If they have these heated, uncontrolled fights going on in the church, you can't put on the marquee, come to this church, the first church of fisticuffs. You don't want that. You're not going to be in that kind of a church. And you know what? That kind of a church has a flavor to it, and I got to tell you, you'll be able to identify it very easily. Very easily. War is the next word. It's a war that is. It's a word that's used in uh, for battle. And just because there isn't bloodshed, folks, it doesn't mean that it isn't ugly or dishonoring to God. Now, I, I don't know if we hear about in Ukraine where you have people that are dying there, but I do know that there are gunshots. The pastors are telling me they can hear the, the guns going off. I don't know if anybody ever gets shot with those things or they're just doing practice, but there's a problem there. Because you know what? A bullet could catch somebody somewhere sometime. This, here, this idea here of a of word is, is, the, is, is ugly, it's dishonoring to God, and it's going on in the church. Now, I Again, I'm here at Grace Church, and I don't see these things going on very often within the body. I see sometimes it goes on in the family. Sometimes it goes on in the family. I go, oh, oh boy, how can that be? Well, that's a place where it needs to be most appropriately applied then I need to make sure that I don't offend the other person. Conflict is the next word. It's used four times, and it's, being, it's very often translated fighting, conflict, or strife. Again, this you can see, there's there's strife and contention going on. That's the picture that James is trying to give here. War is highlighted here as well because of the implication it has for The human non-biblical side, war means killing. That's what James is saying. There's killing going on. There's a strategy to inflict pain and suffering. In other words, there are some in those families that I've dealt with where they'll even plan, I'm not talking to you anymore. Somebody came to me, listen to this, came to me for their marriage. And I knew that they didn't talk to their parents. And they say, can you help us with our marriage? I said, you got to settle something else as well. Yes, the marriage is very important, but you have no relationship with your parents. Where do you think you're getting this from? Do you think maybe this is God not allowing you to have a good relationship? I go like this, duh. They don't see that. You need to be at peace with all men. So we have strife going on. We have strategy for killing and war. The Greek word here is used seven times. It's translated five times as war. It's about a military expedition most of the time, leading soldiers into war and into battle. It's about killing and conquering. It's the state of open hostility, armed conflict. You sometimes walk into those kinds of things. Murder. Murder. How in the world does this get into the text when it's speaking about the church? I read the Bible, and it says Christians are to love one another. As a matter of fact, in 1 John, it says that if you don't love one another, you're not God's. So how does this happen in the church? The last word that I have removed from the text here, fight, has implications for some very significant things here. Fighting is actual fisticuffs. It is actually getting down to getting armed and getting into a battle. That's what that word means. It's hand-to-hand or mouth-to-mouth in some situations. And when I mean that, I mean yelling and screaming and all of that language stuff. So the terms that James uses here is a, a language of warfare. Now, I want to translate this particular verse, James 4, 1 through 3, the way I will slip in these other meanings. I want you to listen to this. What is the source of heated verbal contention and uncontrolled battle and your strife and contentions among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage strategies to fight and combat and battle amongst the members? You lust and you do not have, so you slay your opponent and kill them. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you have armed hand-to-hand conflict, even to the death. You have not because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So you spend it on your pleasures. Make me feel good. That's what it's about. Make me feel good. You can see how picturesque that is. The picturesque, the the, the picture that we get there... And, folks, this is among professing believers. is amongst people that are in the church. And I hope, folks, that this can't be said of you today. I hope this can't be part of your life. And if it is, you need to go about a strategy to try to settle those issues. First ask, how have I offended you? You see, it says in Matthew that if you think your brother, you know, you've offended your brother, you need to go to them. Okay, you mean the one that's not talking to me? Yeah, the one that's not talking. say, look, I probably have offended you, but I don't know how. Can you please help me? I want to understand. I want to get a picture of what I did. That's how you begin to take care of this strife. But in the body of Christ, this strife, this jealousy, this hatred, this condescension continues to go on and on and on. Love it, our fallen condition, and that's what we're dealing with. Our fallen condition starts in our hearts. You know, yesterday with the men, that's what we were talking about was our heart. We needed to protect it. Tomorrow night when I speak to the ladies, it's going to be about the heart and protecting it. Because you see, that is what is the thing that motivates us. That's the thing that makes us want to do this. And and I I could give um, uh, a shout out to John Street in the book that he wrote on the heart. I gotta tell you, it's a theology on the heart. If you really wanna look at it, it's not just about pornography, but it's about the heart. James here in this passage is gonna reveal the heart. And so let's look at verse one. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? He has two very piercing questions here. The first is what is the source of the problem? James knows the condition of the church. He knows what's going on. There, these are rhetorical questions. He's wanting them to take a step back and think about it. He's wanting them to, to take a judicious look at what the source of their problem is. Why do I want what I want, and why do I want it now? He's challenging them to recognize the, and identify the source of their quarrels, their conflicts. These words are in the plural, and I love it. It's not just in the plural, but it's in the present tense. It's the continuous thing that's going on. It means it's a persistent problem. Unfortunately for the person involved in conflicts, they are usually not isolated occurrences. I once had a man come in, and he said, I I got a problem. I said, what's your problem? He, He says it's a uh, it's a problem with money. Okay, Well, what's the problem? Well, I've had 15 jobs in three years. It's a problem. Guess what? He keeps getting fired because he can't get along with people. There's a problem there. I can see that. It's a persistent problem, and he's not taking care of it until he comes to seek biblical counsel. These words are in the plural. They, that's a continuing problem. Uh, Quarrels is about an altercation that's describing an altercation. It can also be translated as a war. It can also be translated as brawling. I mean, could you imagine a brawling going on down on the patio at Grace Community Church? No, I, I can't. I can't imagine a brawling going on in the worship center. I mean, we've had some people come in and not be part of our church and make Yelling sounds in the worship center, but that was not part of the church. James is trying to get them to look at their heart. He's trying to bring them to right where he can reveal their own heart to them. Let's take a look. Here you are despising and hating your brother. How in the world can you get there? To the point of despising and hating your brother. James ends his question in one verse, and he says this, among you, James 1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And folks, that could be translated differently, and I like the other translation. The other translation, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts in you? It's in the person. It's in you. Right here, James is getting to their inward feelings, the the tension that resides in their heart, the frustration that is in their heart. That's where the conflict comes from. It's in their heart. They bring it to the body of Christ. They bring it to their family. They bring it to their relationships at work. They bring it to their neighbors. You know, I I had this joke when I I started out in the counseling class, and I say, yeah, they, they have problems with barking and parking. You know, because that's what a lot of people, when you have trouble with your neighbors, it's barking and parking. You know, they like to park on their lawn. I mean, I don't get that, but they do. And they also park in my space. How dare they? James is saying this is not acceptable. If you think your brother has something against you, you should go to him and say, hey, have I offended you? Have I I done something to, to hurt you? These feelings of tension and frustration begin to express themselves in quarrels and conflicts. There's an inner tribulation that's going on in their heart, and James is trying to point that out. They try to solve those inner tribulations in their own way, and it's not working, and they get frustrated with it. But it doesn't remain inside for very long. It begins to come out. He asks a second question there is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Here, again, the the answer is a rhetorical answer. It's yes, of course it is. Not only is it an affirmative answer requiring uh, him to, to take this proverbial finger and point it at himself, yeah, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I remember once I got saved, and and I remember we had seven years of marriage, six years of marriage before I got saved, and I said to my wife, you you did not make me get angry with you. I made me get angry at you. There isn't anything that a person can do to make you get angry. You choose to get angry. Gentle answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. That's where I need to see that it's residing in my own heart, that I make those decisions. Therefore, the quarrels, the conflicts is because I have self-seeking pleasure. I have self-seeking desires that are in me. And I'm going to say in me, folks. And I know that all of you can join me in that with an amen. It's in you. You're not satisfied with where God has you. You're not satisfied with what God has done in your life. So there's this inner turmoil of distrust of God, and you want something. You want something else. You're not satisfied. When uh, I was in sales, huh, my uh, buddy in... Uh, Massachusetts and I were good buddies, and uh, we had this joke as salesmen: "Gimme, give gimme, give, give me, and once you give me, give me more i mean that was that was it. We just wanted more. Give us more. We're both fairly successful in our business. Give me, give me, give me, and you know what that's what's going on in the heart I'm not getting what I want. People don't understand me. People aren't giving me a reward, slapped me on the back and telling me I'm the greatest guy since, I don't know. The Los Angeles Dodgers who had the World Series stolen from them. I don't know. <laughs> Remember, they had to beat the New York Yankees first. <laughs> <clears throat> You're not satisfied with where God has you. Those who have a conflict live by agendas. Did you hear that? They live by agendas. It's their agenda, their plan, their rights, their needs, their schedule, their expectations, their desires, their reputation. It's all about them. You know, <clears throat> the person who sits down and he writes out his day and, and says, well, this is what I'm going to do today, and somebody knocks on the door. I, I, I've had that happen, you know? It's amazing. I, I could even put a sign in my door. Study time. And somebody's walking in the door. Now, I could take that cup of coffee that I have sitting there and throw it at them. No, no, What what is it? What can I do? <laughs> you know, it, we could. Get, it's not about us. The pleasures that is spoken about here has an interesting word. Hedonon is the Greek word. It's from, and it will make the English word hedonism. The pleasures that wage war in your members. Hedonism is the enjoyment of the fulfillment of one's desires. That's hedonism. And, And it could be very simple desires, but it's still desires. It's like, you know, the mom who has this baby who doesn't give her a full night's sleep. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, she can get pretty angry at that little one. Yeah, that can happen. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to be able to have a full night's sleep, maybe even six hours. She can get angry. That's hedonism, the enjoyment from the fulfillment of one's desires, whatever those desires are. That's when dad needs to get up and take care of the baby, by the way, just so I put a plug in for you women. Who have that two-year-old? Desire is at the root of all the evil, and rumination of family and life, because it causes division. Did you hear that? Desire—it can be good desire. I, Donna and I have a desire—we'd love to be with our kids. One's in Virginia, and the other one's in in uh, uh, Arizona. So, do we have Donna live in Arizona and me live in Virginia, or do we stay where we are and enjoy what we have? Yeah, we keep our hands open. Let the Lord take care of it. Um, desire is what causes that ruination. L- let me take you to James chapter 3, just quickly. And uh, the clock is not working in here, but let me get t- take you there quickly. James 3, uh, 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, that emotion, that that element of emotion that you put in there, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, and so lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom, is not that which comes down from above, but is, listen to this, it's earthly, it is natural, and it is demonic. Wow. Even desire for good things when I don't leave my hands open and say, Lord, you do what you want to do. You give me what you want to give me. And if he doesn't give it, it's okay too. Because you know what? You've already gotten more than you deserve. You got salvation. But you know, we live this life and we think we deserve, we deserve. This is what I I have my rights. One commentator said this, the ultimate choice in life lies between pleasing oneself and pleasing God and a world in which people seek first and foremost to please themselves is a battleground of savagery and division. Yeah. When you can't get what you want, then you're going to have this battle going on. James is saying that the Jewish professing Christians that are in this community, it was a Jewish community of believers, they're quarreling and they're fighting and they're choosing their own personal agendas and their own personal pleasures above the will of God. And, and that's what we have to be careful about, putting your will above the will of God. You know, I, I think when we take a step back and we assess, you know what? God does love me. God is in control. And he's allowing this particular situation for my good and for his glory. That's, that's hard when it's not a nice situation. That's hard maybe when you're being neglected by a spouse, so you're being neglected by parents, or whatever it is. But for me to say, okay, this is for my good, you say, but Bill, how can it be for your good? Because you're going to get on your knees. You're going to be thankful to God for the situation that you're now paying attention to Him and not to yourself. That's for His glory. Because He can say, look at my children. Look at Job as he's going through all of this, these problems. And he still wants me. He still worships me. That's the situation that we have. If the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit are not ruling in your heart, you are in danger. When you are jealous and you want, and you're not thinking about him, guess what? You're pursuing pleasure rather than Christ. Strong desires to please oneself takes over, begins to rule our hearts. Self-pleasure dominates our thoughts and, and controls our conduct. The way of destruction is simple, and it's very terrible. The process is that you allow yourself to continue to lust for something. That thing begins to dominate your thinking. You find yourself defaulting in your thinking to that object. During the waking hours, you begin to daydream about getting that particular thing. Or why isn't it happening for me? It's what I call a a ruling passion of the heart. And you even begin to have imaginations about how to get it. And imaginations about when you get it, what you're going to do with it. There are things or people that stand in your way, they, they begin to be pushed aside. You begin to eliminate those hindrances to your desires. You may imagine these things for a while, and the day comes, and you may even get what you want. But what, what I can tell you what you're, what's going to happen you're not going to be satisfied you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to want more and more and more. You say, we live in a day of living for happiness. That's what it's about. It's all about my happiness. It's all about my pleasure. It's all about what I want rather than living for Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that to you necessarily, and I am saying it to you necessarily. James gives us the picture that these folks are waging war among themselves for their desires. But at the same time, battle is taking place within us. It's waging war within us. Our hearts are revealing this issue in us. Your pleasures that wage war. It's a constant battle. It must be against our cravings. And this is a continual battle for the believer. And it's going to be until you go to bed. You know, Until you go to bed, until you go to heaven. (laughs) Because you know what? Even in your dreams, I know it goes on. Yesterday, that was the question was asked. Pastor, I've been saved for 30 years or 40 years, whatever it is, and, and I still remember the things I did before I got saved. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. It's going to continue to go on. But you have to wage that war, and you have to put that puppy to sleep, and you have to make sure that you run away from it. And I I gave him the the example of Joseph and how he was in Potiphar's bedroom. and What did he do? He ran. And he never looked back. He just kept running. He he found himself in jail, but he still ran. (laughs) I have never had a person, i got to tell you this, never had a person to tell me if they're after the things of the world that they're satisfied. But I have had poor Christians in India, tell me that they've been satisfied when they have nothing. You know, here we are we are having a a lunch uh, on a Sunday afternoon after preaching, and and they have nothing. I mean, they go home. You know where they go home? They go home to the street because they don't have anything more than that. The clothes that they have is probably something that somebody in the church gave them that day. And they go home and they're satisfied. I've got Christ. I've got all I need why would I need anything else? You see, folks, that's what happens when you have a lot. You begin to think you need more. Satisfaction is elusive. It's insatiable. It's that desire that doesn't ever seem to be filled. And here, one even commits murder to get it. And it may not be physical, but it's even committing murder to get it. You see, the source of our problem flows from the heart. And, and we're, you know, message yesterday about the heart, today about the heart, and tomorrow about the heart. It's all about that. It's generating those impulses that, that come from the heart that make me want something. I'm not satisfied. Beloved, here in this verse, we can understand how James is trying to focus these people in on the natural and the demonic that they're thinking the self-seeking that they're trying to attain, the wisdom that's not from above, but the wisdom that's from below. And they need to have the wisdom that's holy and righteous and peaceable. Verse 2, you lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This is a terrible picture of lust unfulfilled. And it's not just sexual lust. It's just lust for something else. The present tense here indicates repeated action, strongly craving of something. Even when the lust is attained, there's still a desire for something bigger and better. More. More. Give me more. You lust and you do not have. Frustration has set in. and You're not satisfied. Because they have this frustration, that lust, that stirred up. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious reaction. And when you don't get it, you commit murder. And you say, but pastor, I've never committed murder. But yeah, you may not be in the headlines of committing murder. But what about the headlines of heaven? What's going on there? And I know that James is using hyperbole here and And he's picturing this wickedness of the heart, but he's doing it in relation to our lustful desires and showing the extent of how wicked our hearts are. That our hearts are built for self-gratification. And so James is is coming to that point where he's confronting their heart. He's showing them the depth of their depravity. I I don't know about you, but I don't need much to know my depth of my depravity. (laughs) It's there and I know it's there, and I want to be like Joseph and keep running from it. They are angry, and their anger is displayed in wicked, self-centered heart. With penetrating insight, though, James, I mean, a powerful analysis here of of the human heart, he reveals it. He uses verbal arguments, personal conflicts, reveal a heart that is not content with God. Once again, the use of the present tense here means that it is going on all the time. You are envious and cannot obtain. What a tragic picture. You know, It's like, it's like a child who sees something outside their crib, and they're, "Do we still put babies in cribs now?" I, I don't know. They see something and they keep reaching for it and reaching for it and, reach, and, and, they, they, and they begin to scream and cry. That's the picture. We keep reaching for it, reaching for it. We don't get it, and we scream, and we cry. But you know what they've forgotten? Look at James 1.17. James 1.17 says this, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's where it comes from. Request it. God doesn't give it. Okay. it's Okay. I told this to the men yesterday. I hope you don't mind. But I came back from India. My first time being in India, and I don't know, it was 96, 95. And uh, I, my heart was set to go back to India. I wanted to be a missionary in India. I wanted to go back there and, and teach. The people were so hungry for the Word. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, to be in 117 degrees with no air conditioning and have this little fan in the middle of the room with 125 people, and they didn't move. They stayed there. I wanted to go back, and I said to Donna, you know, I I really believe I've been called to India. She says, "Uh, I can't hear anything. (laughs) I said, okay, if I'm supposed to go back to India, I can pray, and God will change her mind. I didn't balk. I mean, I made her come out to, from New York. I mean, I was bad enough to come out to California. But I, I said, God will change your heart. Pat Howell, who was a missions pastor at the time, said, just tell her what to do. I said, no, thank you. No, thank you. She would do it. I know she would. But I want her to, to want it. I went back six more times. So I've been to India enough. And by the way, they've kicked us all out of India. So here, here I am. Glad I stayed. I'm glad I stayed because I've got you guys. Hopefully, you're as hungry as they are in India. <laughs> James confronting their heart. He's confronting the depth of their depravity. They are angry, and their anger displays in the wickedness of the self-centeredness. These personal conflicts reveal a heart that is not content with God. You see, when you get into a fight and an argument with somebody, you're actually in a fight with God. That's what you're doing. And I don't mean the other person is God, but I mean you're wanting something that you're not getting. You are envious and you cannot obtain. What a picture. This is a result of unrestrained desire. It's dreadfully catastrophic. It's catastrophic because it's going to ruin relationships. And I've seen it happen. And I've seen it happen here. Not often. But I've seen it happen here. You see, James not only wants to reveal the sin in the heart, he wants to give it to that first century church, but he also wants us to know it too. He wants them to feel this, okay? This is where you need to feel this, to understand this rebuke is for them. It's not for the other person that they're having the argument with, it's for them. In verse 2, the selfish person doesn't ask. We see this. They don't pray. While in verse 3, this selfish person, what do they do? They ask. What does it say in verse 3? It says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. God, I want to win the lottery. And then I can go off to Bora Bora or whatever else and disappear on an island. No, 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 that's half. Yeah, you hit the lottery. By the way, I've had some folks give me a lottery ticket. Thank you. Not not near, okay? Don't give it to me. I don't want it. But I'll look, and if I get it, if I hit it, get it. I'm not going to go to Bora Bora. I'm going to stay here. And you get Bora Bora with me. <laughs> this, is, this exposes their problem is not only one of lust, but using God you imagine using God? They have these hedonistic pleasures that they want, and they're going to use God. Oh, I'll pray, and then they get it, and they're gone. I've had people do that. I've seen that happen. I'll pray, they get what they want, and they're gone. They're asking of God through petition, supplication, according to his will, they think. mm it's according to their will. You see, God knows the heart. He knows the motive. We don't. 1 Corinthians 4-5, do not go on passing judgment till the time comes when the Lord reveals the motives of men's hearts. We don't always know the motive of why a person does what they do. We don't know the motive behind the prayer, but James, being inspired, knows the motive. It's about self. It's not about the glory of God. The word here, kakos, which is a Greek word, means an evil man or bad motives. They ask with wrong purposes. Their worldly perverted desires have invaded their prayer life now. What they're asking for was their own personal self. They're looking to indulge themselves with this prayer request. They want whatever they want, whatever. It could be a good thing again. But they're doing it for them, not for the glory of God. There is no reverence for God in this kind of person. There is no fear in this kind of person. And just make sure that you're not this kind of person. Again, I I say this, their conscience must have been seared. Seared to to the truth of the gospel. To not understand what the gospel is. There's a purpose clause here. It's uh, what we call the henna clause. It says, because you ask with wrong motives. Beloved, do not waste your time and prayer asking for selfish things. Uh, you can probably think of some selfish things that you asked for. Lord, I want a house. Lord, I want a car. Well, you know, if you get those things, what are you going to do with it? You're going to open up your house for people to come in and, and use it? Or is it only for you? Even if you ask for a good thing and God does not give it, don't spend yourself in consuming what you get from this. Always have your hands open. The point is this. The good gift is not desired for sharing with others. It's not a good gift anymore. It's a selfish gift consistent prayer that is by faith will not make selfish requests did you hear that the consistent prayer that is made by faith will not make selfish requests i pray that my spouse gets saved so i can have peace in the home yeah it'd be nice to have peace in the home but you know what sometimes there's not peace even if they get saved the important thing is they get saved the first century has its heart exposed here. The 21st century has their heart exposed. We're all challenged in this kind of thinking, folks. It doesn't doesn't ever end. It's going to be the same thing next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. I've got to tell you, I I was having a conversation with my wife, and I I would like this trip to be comfortable. (laughs) Did you ever get to the counter at an airline, and they say, would you like to go first class? We have no more room and coach. I have, actually, coming out of India. <laughs> and I, I said, well, that's only to Singapore. Can I get it all the way to the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. I, I asked. She said, well, I can't take care of that, but I can take care of this. I'm like, okay, we'll take half of it, part of it. Five hours out of 25. Don't be selfish. I, yeah, I, wa- I want to have a nice, calm trip. I don't want anything uh, exciting to happen. You know, there's <laughs> already an earthquake in Turkey. And I happen to be landing in Turkey on the way there. I thought That's okay. It's on the other side of the country. But you know what? Once I get there, it's going, going, going. And I like that. I don't have time to sit back, take it easy. Paul is giving, I mean, uh, James is giving a blistering rebuke here. He's pointing out their hedonistic selfishness. And he says this in verse 4, You adulteresses, oh my goodness, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Now, they're not physical adulterers here but it's adulterers in their heart. They're no different than the Jews were, okay, back in the Old Testament. If you go back to the Old Testament, how many times did they get called that by God? You need to go back to Jeremiah 3, 8, and he calls them adulterers, and he actually says, I'm going to divorce you there. That's how bad it was. Now, if we're saved, God is not going to divorce us. We're his now and forever by the grace of God. But James is rebuking the Jewish church here. That's what he's doing. He's rebuking the the Jewish church here, the the Jewish believers, because their behavior has joined them to worshiping false gods. False gods, in their case here, is a self and selfishness. It's all about them. You adulteresses. i got to tell you, that's an attention-getter when they hear this because of being Jewish, they would even have that in mind of of what James is alluding to. The question here is this, you adulteresses. The question is, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? We're not supposed to love this world, folks. Yeah, we are comfortable and you should be comfortable. I can go back to Ecclesiastes and say, yes, all that has been made is for us to enjoy, but remember, he's God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. The kindness towards the world, a friendship of love in the world. That's what it's talking about. There's a seriousness to this rebuke, folks. And I have to tell you, we have to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts from the friendship of this world because it's not about this world. It's not about this world. The word for hostility used by James here in essence means hatred, the hatred of the most abominable kind, hatred toward God. Friendship with the world is hostility, hatred toward God. Spiritual adultery is synonymous with being an enemy of God. Any kind of endearing friendship with the world demonstrates a union which is opposite of God. They become an enemy of God because they are worshipers of self, worshipers of the creation rather than the creator. I I appreciated this week okay, the March for Life. It reminded me once again, I I wrote a chapter in a book a few years ago, well, many years ago now, on abortion, and what that is. My son-in-law wrote and said that he was at the March for Life. We, We need to cherish those lives. They're precious. Created by God. Keep that in mind. The words here make himself here in the verse 4 can also be translated becomes. You make yourself or become an enemy of God. Oh, folks, don't become an enemy of God. Don't become an enemy of God. I had a friend at this church, a dear friend, who became an enemy of God, and it's ugly. I think he's since repented, but he became an enemy living in the world. James now reminds the readers of this authority of Scripture, God's word speaks to these issues. There's a revealing here, folks, a revealing of the heart that we have seen today. I don't have this kind of heart. Always keep your prayers like this. Lord, give me, and I don't mean pray like that, but give me if you so desire. It is up to you, not me. You want the conversion of your children or your parents or whatever? It's not up to me. You want peace and quiet in your home? It's not up to you. He will accomplish it better than you will. But ask, leaving it up to him. If you have cravings, desires that are out of the ordinary, confess those, bring those before the throne of grace and destroy them there. That's what you need to do. Today is communion. Today's communion. We're going to go downstairs and we're going to, to receive communion as brothers and sisters together. What I'd like to do right now is for us to bow our heads to think about that. Some of us have some issues on our heart. Maybe we can even name in our minds some people that we are in dispute with or have anger or whatever. Let's confess that to yourself, okay? Confess that to the Lord. And making sure that we're taking communion with the right kind of attitude. I, I believe this is good to, to prepare ourselves even to do those kinds of things. These uh, once a month and um, opportunities are good to take assessment as to where we are with the Lord. It's not just our everyday devotions, yes, that we should do, but here this is kind of special because if you take this in an unworthy manner, it's not a, not a good thing. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time of communion, this time that we have to go listen to our pastor MacArthur and hear the words of wisdom about worship. We pray, Lord God, for our own hearts. Pray that they would be settled with God, that you be on the throne of grace, that you would be the one who uh, we worship and that we can Accept whatever you give us in this life, realizing it comes from a good hand, desiring to give us good things. Lord, we are ever so grateful. We were in the kingdom of darkness, and you brought us into the kingdom of light. You've given us your grace and your mercy. And Lord, now let us live that grace and mercy before an unbelieving world. We pray this in your name. Amen.